Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I wonder how long uh, you've lived in your current home for. As I did the maths the other day, I worked out that on average, I have lived in every home that I've lived in for 2.75 years total. Uh, So 12 homes in 33 years, or 12 moves in 33 years, I think 13 homes. So uh, how's that? That's... um, quite a lot of moving, uh, not a lot of being settled in one place. Perhaps you've had a slightly different uh, experience. I know that when I met uh, Elisa, she had only ever lived in one home for her entire life, uh, and until her family sold that home last year, they'd owned it for 35 plus years. Uh, and it was an amazing kind of thing to behold as someone who'd moved around a lot, uh, the difference. You see, what I noticed and, and what I've kind of gathered from uh, looking at other people who've lived in the one place for a long time is that when, when you've been somewhere a long time, you, you really start to uh, put roots down in the place. The home that you dwell in starts to take on a character that, that, that's connected to who you are and whom your family that dwells in it is. You know, you, uh, you can redesign kitchens and bathrooms and, and re- take rooms uh, in and out and, and knock down walls and do things to, to give the place some character and to work better for the way you want to live in it. Uh, when, you, when you live in the same place for a long time, you can do this wonderful thing, which I uh, kind of... Um, uh, a little bit jealous of secretly, which is where you know you, you buy the perfect couch for your room, knowing that it's never going to go in any other room but that room, and so you measure it up, you fit it in perfectly, uh, and you enjoy the fact that uh, that's what it's going to be forever. Uh, whereas if you're moving a lot, you, you need to buy versatile furniture that can perhaps work in any space. Uh, when you've lived in a home a long time, the home begins to reflect. Some something of who you are. Uh, The old saying goes, it's more than a house, it's a home. And as we reflect on Paul and his prayer for the Ephesians this morning, we see it's a prayer uh, where he prays that Christ would dwell in the Ephesians. And I think there is a bit of an analogy here between us dwelling in homes and Christ dwelling in us. That is, uh, Paul's prayer is that, that Christ would really make us his home. And that as he does so, and as we spend more and more time allowing Christ into our lives and allowing him to dwell in us, that he brings transformation uh, and we begin to reflect more of the one who lives in us just as our homes reflect something of who we are when we live in them. But before we look at the content of Paul's prayer and think about that some more, let's first look at what Paul says, which is why he's praying. Have a look at verse uh, 14. Uh, If you've got your notice sheet there, there's a sermon outline and the reading for today uh, is in there. Uh, And in verse 14, Paul opens and he says, For this 
reason. Now, what reason, you might think? What is the reason? Why is Paul saying for this reason? Well, what we actually know as we've worked our way through the book of Ephesians is in in chapter 3, Paul started to say the very same thing. Have a look at chapter... Or you haven't got chapter 3, verse 1 there, but if you go home and look at chapter 3, verse 1, Paul there says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then he gets sidetracked and he goes and talks uh, all about how in the first half of chapter 3 he has experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus. He's been saved by that grace. He's seen how God is uh, pouring out his grace on both Jew and Gentile and creating one new humanity through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, That kind of thought overwhelms him and he doesn't quite get to what he was saying. So he starts now in uh, our reading today in verse 14 by going back to that original thought he had at the start of the chapter, for this reason. So the reason, whatever reason it is, must be back in chapter 2. That must be where uh, Paul is, uh, the, 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 the reason that Paul has. And we see that in chapter 2, Paul has told us really of two big ideas. The first, that we have uh, gone from death to life through faith in Jesus Christ, that we are spiritually dead without him, but in him we come alive, just as Christ went from death to life on the cross through to the resurrection. So we go from death to life through trusting him. And then in verses 11 to 21, the second half of chapter 2, the big idea is that this new life creates a new community that where before we identified ourselves as Jew or Gentile and maybe we were at war with one another, now we find ourselves uh, united by our faith in Christ, by this new spiritual reality. And so Paul is praying for this reason. He's saying, I pray because of what I know about who God is and what he's done for me. I wonder what it is that motivates your prayer life. We live in a world where for many people the only time they get to prayer is when things get really, really bad and they've got no control anymore. Uh, Prayer for many, if at all, is is a last resort, a a fail-safe upon which they rely when there's nothing else that they can rely on. I think we're encouraged by Paul here to let our prayers not spring from, well, I've got nothing else, so I guess I might as well pray, but rather to let our prayers spring from our theology. That is what we know about who God is and what God has done for us. That should be what motivates and brings to life our prayers. That as we learn more about God, as we study his word, as we're encouraged by his grace to us in Jesus Christ, then we let this knowledge fuel our prayer life, just as Paul did with his knowledge of what God had done in Jesus Christ and what he was doing in bringing uh, all of humanity together through him. That fueled his prayer. And we see that it uh, not only fueled uh, the reason for his prayer, but also uh, uh, informed the way he prayed. Uh, Paul had an attitude of humility as he prayed. We see in verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. That is, uh, he took a posture that reflected his humble attitude in prayer. 
It's not that you must kneel to pray, and that's why we've got those nice kneelers uh, in the pews there for you when we get to prayer later in the service. No, no, it's about attitude. And if kneeling helps you be humble when you pray, then get on your knees when we pray later. Absolutely, that's a great idea. But Paul's attitude was one of humility. But it's interesting because you might remember right before Paul says that he humbly approaches God in prayer... Uh, In verse 12 of chapter 3, he encouraged the Ephesians to approach God with confidence and freedom. Let me read verse 12 of chapter 3 to you. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And now, when Paul goes to approach God, he approaches him on his knees in humility, which is perhaps not what you thought of when Paul said in verse 12, approach God with freedom and confidence. Well, what's going on here? I think an analogy from sport helps us. Uh, If you know anything of tennis, maybe you're following Wimbledon at the moment, uh, I want you to think of two uh, players. Nick Kyrgios, Aussie, 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 uh, and Roger Federer. Now, Nick Kyrgios is pretty good at tennis, like He's very good at tennis. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being him, right? Uh, at, in terms of his tennis skills, that's where it ends though, right? Because he's actually an arrogant um, person. <laughs> uh, and he, he gets out on court and he exudes confidence and he hits the ball through his legs and behind him and he's, he's very, very... Uh, arrogant in the way he kind of conducts himself and he yells at the umpires and he does all this sort of stuff and it's really uh, nothing that we really we're not very proud to own him as Australians are we then think of Roger Federer who is perhaps the greatest tennis player of all time and he goes out on the court and rightly he's confident he's practiced he's won a lot there's no one better than him and yet he has humility I think when at least when I kind of watch him and hear him interviewed afterwards he has this attitude of of thankfulness for the opportunities that he has and of wonder at the fact that he can still kind of win tournaments. He, 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 he knows he belongs on the world stage and he knows he's really, really good at tennis and yet he's kind of humbled by it as well. Confidence with humility. I think that's how it, it, it ought to be with us, with God. That we approach God confidently. That is, we know that in Jesus Christ, we're welcome into the presence of God. And God's not going to reject us. And so we know we can stand there, not because of ourselves, but because of what God has done. And yet, humbly knowing that it's actually only by his grace that we can enter. Confident humility. We belong there, but we ought to not take it for granted. I wonder if that is how you think of your attitude when you approach God in prayer. Confident humility. Knowing that God loves to hear from you, that through Christ he will hear you, and yet humbled by that very fact at the same time. Paul prays, based on his theology, confidently but with humility. And what does he pray? Well, here we see from verses 16 uh, through to uh, 22, 
uh, the character of his prayer. Uh, 16 through to 19, sorry. First he prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, here we get back to that idea I talked about at the start of Christ dwelling in us. Paul is asking in these verses that God, through Jesus, would continue to make himself at home in the hearts and the lives of the believers in Ephesus. Uh, and in a real and special way, and in a way that grows. Because back in verse 22 of chapter 2, Paul stated the true fact that all Christians are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And what Paul now prays is that that truth would be a reality that's made known more and more each and every day. That Christ would continue to make himself uh, dwell in the Christian. The very word that he's chosen there, dwell, uh, there, there, were, there were two Greek words that Paul could have used. One that meant kind of, uh, I guess, kind of hang out or stay at a hotel, that kind of a word where you just, you're kind of there, but you're not really uh, there for the long haul. And this other word that we've got here, dwell, where, where Paul says uh, he wants Christ to, to go deep into the lives of the Ephesian Christians. And that's the word Paul's chosen deliberately, deliberately, not that Christ would kind of hang out in their lives, but that he would dwell in them, that he would send his roots down deep, and that he, as he does that, the Ephesians would be strengthened with the power that comes from Christ dwelling in us by his spirit and becoming more and more at home, and that as he does so, we might reflect something more and more each day of his character in our lives. So he prays that we'd be strengthened with the power of Christ dwelling in us. He prays also that we'd be grounded in love. Paul prays for the strengthening power of the indwelling of Christ in the Christian's life in order for them to enable them to live lives of love. Look at verse 17, second half of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Remember, Paul is praying a prayer in response to what God has done. And remember what God is doing? He's bringing together Jew and Gentile. He's bringing together those who formerly hated one another, those who were enemies. And now, through faith in Christ, they find themselves part of one nation, one family. People who wouldn't normally hang out together, united in Christ. And so, of course, it makes sense that Paul would pray that these Christians would have love that flows out of them, the love of Christ dwelling in them that flows out of them because they need it. They need Christ's love for all people in order to love those whom perhaps they once hated. The church does not work without Christ taking hold of each and every one of us and enabling us to grow in our love of one another. 
And it's not our love of one another, is it? It's Christ's love for uh, the other that flows out of us because he is dwelling in us by his spirit. Paul prays that we would have the power of Christ, that we would have the love of Christ. Finally, he prays that we would have all of God's fullness or the fullness of Christ, that you may be filled, second half of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. His prayer finishes by requesting that they might know and experience the fullness of God. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we begin a journey to perfection. We begin a journey that only finds its completion once we reach heaven, where there is no more sin and where we find ourselves perfected, being the people God created us to be fully. And Paul's prayer now is that the Ephesians might experience more of that change, more of that fullness in the here and now. He's praying that they would have ongoing growth in godliness. He's praying that ultimately they would experience all the fullness of God that Christ himself had. Uh, Some now, and ultimately it's a prayer for the future. It's a big prayer. It's a big prayer to pray that Christ would dwell in us more, that we would experience his power, that we would express his love, that we would uh, be caught up and experience all the fullness of God both here and into the future. And so Paul remembers, uh, finishes this big prayer by reminding the Ephesians uh, about who it is he's asking these things of. It's the God who, verse 20, is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is the one who can do more than we ask or imagine. You see, this, this prayer, uh, he's asking for some big things, but actually God can do even more than this. And as God answers Paul's prayer and he begins his work in the lives of the Christians in Ephesus and he begins his work in our life, transforming us, it brings glory to God. We've been praying, haven't we, as a church, that God would continue to grow us, that he would continue to make us a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. We've been praying that Christ Jesus might have glory in every generation, as Paul ended his prayer in verse 21. We've been praying that God would grow us spiritually. We've been praying that people would join us, and as they, as they have joined us, we've seen the need to pray that God would help us to grow in our love for all people, even those we've just met. If we're going to continue to grow in in our love for each other, in our love for God, and if we're going to continue to seek to be a church that that works for the good of our community, then we need God to answer this prayer in our lives. The prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesians, we need to pray for ourselves, that God will enable us to live out his love in his power and that we would experience his fullness. So I would invite you to join with me in praying confidently yet humbly that God would do that in our lives.
lives. Let's pray, knowing that God can do more than we can ask or imagine. Let's trust God. Ask him to strengthen us. Ask him to dwell in us more fully. Ask him to help us grow in his love for others and to fill us with his fullness. To him be the glory in our church and in Jesus Christ for every generation, forever and ever. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.